Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Tuesday, October 5th. We begin with our weekly conversation with Mercedes Stevenson, Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block. This week, we look back at Canada's first ever National Day of Truth and Reconciliation and the controversy surrounding how Prime Minister Justin Trudeau spent his time that day vacationing with his family at a Tofino resort. Next, we speak with Dr. Ted Jablonski, our on-call family physician. Dr. J brings us the latest details from a new study about the coronavirus Delta a variant, including stats on how much more of an impact the strain has compared to the traditional COVID-19 virus. Then, ahead of the upcoming civic election, we look at the future of transit in our city. We speak with a mobility consultant and former senior transit planner for the City of Calgary for his thoughts on how our current system ought to be reimagined to better serve we Calgarians. And finally, it's another edition of Tech Tuesday. From a worldwide Facebook outage to the latest venture for Amazon and the most popular emojis in Alberta, we catch up with the gadget guy, Mike Yanni. Last week, Canada marked the first National Day of Truth and Reconciliation. Joining now to discuss how Canada reflected on its colonial legacy amid demands to do better is Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block, Mercedes Stevenson. Good morning to you, Mercedes. Good morning. The day has, has come and gone, our first ever, but, but Prime Minister Trudeau uh, facing backlash for treating September 30th like a family holiday. So what is the Indigenous community saying, um, you know, in his response in the sense that uh, they called him out on it? He has since apologized. So if you can give us an idea in, in the nature of his apology and what reaction has been? Well, he apologized in particular um, to the Tukumalu-Shwepmik uh, First Nation where he was invited to attend. Uh, And that First Nation is where they found the first um, unmarked graves of children who had attended the residential school there that really struck Canadians and and registered to the national conscience of just how bad this system had been and how many children had died while they were in it and never simply come home to their parents or had any kind of closure. So they had extended two invitations for him to come out to Kamloops. He did not do that. In fact, his plane flew right over Kamloops. So he did call uh, the the chief of that uh, First Nation to apologize to her directly. He has not given a broader apology to Indigenous people or in Canada or Canadians uh, who are not Indigenous as well. He has only apologized to that particular First Nation, just to be clear on that part. Um, We don't know exactly what he said because there's no transcripts of the call. There's no reporting of the call. But his office says, essentially, um, that he apologized to her and that he told the chief that he will be coming in the near future. Mind you, he has been saying that uh, since they first discovered those unmarked graves in Kamloops. This one just seems, Mercedes, so incredibly tone deaf. I mean, you know, SNC-Lavalin, we scandal, there are many of them. You can almost put them aside, but this one falls squarely on the one man himself. There, There's nobody else to take the heat on this one. It just is almost, you know, mind-boggling as to what he might have been thinking. Well, I think that's that's the question. And, like, did people in his office tell him this is a bad idea and he did it anyhow? Are they afraid to tell him when things are bad ideas? Uh, it's not the first time the Prime Minister's judgment has been questioned by people. And this was a case where you could pretty clearly see how this was going to play out. And, and had he waited even a few hours to go and flown in the evening, or had he flown out there and, and gone to Kamloops, or even gone 
to the First Nations territory that he was close to. Uh, they had their own ceremony, and the chief there was saying, you know, we would have loved to have had the prime minister here. And I understand the argument that people make that this was not a day to make about the prime minister. It was a day of solemn remembrance mm-hmm. and reflection of what happened. But there is a way for him to attend and not make it about him, too. You yeah. can stand at the back. You can stand quietly and observe. You don't have to become the focal point of attention. Or you could have just gone to Harrington Lake, which is right outside Ottawa, and reflected there before you left. It was the timing on this that was really problematic. And that's what we were hearing from Indigenous leaders. Of I had uh, National Chief Roseanne Archibald on the West Block. We heard from Native Women's Association. And they were both saying, look, because it's a problem when you make it a holiday. And tell people it's not a holiday and to reflect within you yourself take a holiday. This has now sent the wrong message to Canadians about what this day is for. You yourself created the day. The proper place for you to be is at one of the ceremonies. Um, And as one veteran was saying online, and it kind of spread like wildfire, you don't observe Remembrance Day on November 10th and say, well, I went to a ceremony last night. Remembrance Day is Remembrance Day. The National Day for Truth and Reconciliation is the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation. Mm You can't arrange a ceremony the night before to attend and then kind of excuse yourself and, and go on a vacation. And I think they're right. People would have the exact same reaction if you did that on Remembrance Day. That's why I saw veterans last night. But there's a day set aside for it, and that's the day that when you are the leader of the country, you're expected to either partake in ceremonies relating to it or to reflect quietly, but not to be on a challenger jet going on vacation. And, you know, to be fair to the prime minister, he did speak to uh, residential school survivors. We're told there is about eight of them. Uh, we haven't been able to find out who those people are or what exactly was said. Obviously, there's a lot of sensitivity in those conversations. Um, but there's a big difference between even just the optics of talking to residential school survivors from a military jet as you're headed to a multi-million dollar, 18.75 to the exact million dollar home on the coast of Tofino, um, on a day when you're really supposed to be reflecting on the legacy of residential schools. It's interesting to me, you know, when you, uh, I think you used the term optics there, Mercedes. Uh, here's a prime minister on his, you know, mandate as a, a minority government once again. Uh, but, you know, the optics, if this was another party, or, or maybe if we were watching another country, he's, he's been through the blackface scandal, uh, Jody Wilson-Raybould, SNC-Lavalin, we, uh, now this... Does this even matter? Will this even be a blip? And, and, and what are some of the, uh, you know, opposition parties saying? Have they come up with any statements? I mean, the opposition parties are, are critical. I don't take too much from that because they're always going yeah. to be critical. Yeah. And, you know, he's just been reelected. He's not in any danger that the opposition no. are going to bring him down over it. Where the danger actually is for him is internally in his own party. Uh, there are senior liberals who looked at this and kind of said, you've got to be kidding me. Um, and, and they see it as, his brand is increasingly becoming a risk to the party. What was once the brand that drew voters, because people were voting for Justin Trudeau, uh, particularly in 2015, now they are worried that people go, mm, I like liberal, I like what they stand for, I don't really like Justin Trudeau, though, don't feel like I trust him. And that is something that was coming up in polling during the election. Uh, so I know that there's concern that this will have further contributed to that, potentially. Uh, and people are really starting to say, okay, uh, this, this is very likely was his last election, and we need to start looking at who the next leader of the party is going to be. Interesting, for sure. Thank you so much for the update. Appreciate your time. Always have a great day, Mercedes.
Thanks for having me. That is Mercedes Stevenson. She, of course, Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block. And it, it is, it's too bad that, you know, that took focus away from yeah, the day itself. It did. It, it's, it's a shame. It shouldn't have. And, and, and that rests squarely on the Prime Minister. Do you know, you know that, that saying is it's something, and I'm going to mess it up and fudge it because that's what I do, um, is, um, you know, you'll be treated, uh, people will treat you the way you allow them to treat you. Mm-hmm. And to a certain extent, you know, I, I listed off the scandals and, you know, things of note that have been talked about when it comes to Justin Trudeau. Things you might think, okay, well, that's way in the past. Things you think, well, there might have been a different reason between, you know, uh, Jody Wilson, Ray Bolden, and Trudeau maybe just didn't get along, whatever it might be. Maybe he just realizes that, you know, Canadians, it might be a blip and his approval might go down, but... I can do what I can kind of do what I want. I've I've I've, I've passed he, these five posts. I don't know if he even. I, I mean, I can't imagine that you know someone just thinks that way. I, I think he just probably doesn't think. That's what <laughs> I, it feels like. Because you know, you mentioned the other scandals, and you can almost put them off on you know there there is a larger picture there, right? Yeah. But this one is just one person who That's made a, a really stupid yep. decision. I don't know. Like, even if you're a Trudeau supporter or, you know, you, you can give him a pass on some of the other stuff. This one, that it just takes the cake. Did he not, you know, I might be mixing things up here early in the pandemic, say nobody should be uh, leaving where they are, kind of stay, stay put. We're not locked down, but stay put. And then something like the next day went to the family cottage and visited family. I, don't I think there was that. something of that as well. So, I mean, I don't want to, you know, get my facts incorrect, but it's a very interesting time. And I feel like he could get away with anything. My uh, opinion. Well, he just... Got reelected, so he did. he's good for a bit. You've certainly heard a lot about the impact of the Delta variant on these huge numbers of COVID-19 cases we're seeing right now. But just how much does the scientific community know about this unique strain of the coronavirus? The details on a new study just released on the topic of the Delta. We're joined by our on-call family physician, Dr. Ted Jablonski. Good morning, Dr. J. Good morning. What can you tell us about this new report? What stood out to you in terms of this coronavirus Delta variant? So a a lot stood out for me. So this was a a report leaked by the CDC uh, to to media, and that was purposeful just to get this message out there. So what we found out, like why the Delta variant has taken over is it is so much more virulent. It, uh, It hits quicker. It lasts longer. And it has 10 times the amount of viral load, meaning if you get infected and you have a, you know, a runny nose or a cough, there's 10 times as many virus particles in that compared to the original strain of, of COVID. Mm. So it is an incredibly um, efficient uh, virus that replicates very, very quickly. And that's why it's taken over so quickly. So, Dr. J, we've all become a coronavirus quote-unquote experts over the past <laughs> yeah. 19 months or so. So we, we know what protocols and precautions are in place for the coronavirus. But when it comes to the Delta variant, should we be doing anything different? Just more, <laughs> more like the message. I mean, we've hammered it home so hard uh, and people still struggle with that uh, for the unvaccinated. If you look at the stats, I crunched the numbers from the CDC um, if you get, uh, you have a 25 times higher risk of ending up in hospital uh, if you're unvaccinated. You have a 25 times risk of dying from COVID if you're unvaccinated. These numbers are astronomical. They're so different, vaccinated versus unvaccinated. Uh, so what should you do? Get vaccinated. Should we still be wearing masks indoors? 
this is a very contagious uh, uh, variant. So it's, they, they say it's equivalent to how chickenpox will spread, which is very, very quick and very efficiently. So should we wear masks indoors? If we're concerned, we can keep our social distance. Absolutely. Um, Thanksgiving coming up, should we have people who are unvaccinated at our Thanksgiving dinner table? Perhaps not. Or that dinner table should be outdoors in our yard and not indoors at all. So there's ways, yes, that we can continue to to fight back, mitigate our risk as best uh, as we can. But we cannot get, uh, we can't let our foot off the pedal at this point. So, Doctor J, obviously, it is extremely, you know, important for unvaccinated people to be aware of this information that the Delta can be, uh, you know, horrible for them. Yes. What about those of us who are vaccinated? We're still seeing increased cases. Is is that why? Is it because Delta is so powerful that even though we are vaccinated, people are still getting sick? Obviously, certainly not even close to the degree, but it is something we need to be aware of, right? Yes, this is a contagious variant and there are breakthrough cases. So even being double vaxxed, you still have a risk of picking up this Delta variant. Now, you might not be as sick as if you're unvaccinated. You probably won't end up in hospital and your chance of dying is exceedingly small, but you could still pick it up. So you still have to take the precautions, even if you are double vaxxed, Mm -hmm. unfortunately. And that really sucks. Uh, I have to say that from a medical point Mm -hmm. of view, but that's the reality just because of how contagious this, uh, this variant truly is. Thanks for your time. Thanks for the info, Dr. uh, Dr. J. We appreciate it. Okay, you betcha. Dr. Ted Jablonski, our on-call family physician. Transit use has plummeted during the pandemic. Will it ever return to pre-pandemic usage numbers? What can be done to draw transit riders back? And are there some cities that we can look at around the world, maybe just across even our country, for examples of improving our transit system? To answer some of these questions, we're joined this morning by David Cooper with Leading Mobility Consulting. He's also the former senior transit planner for Calgary Transit. Good morning, David. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Sue. Thanks for having me. Uh, so, I mean, transit, you know, the, the pandemic has obviously taken a huge toll. Does, does it seem like we'll ever get back to the numbers that we had before that? Or, or has the world changed enough that people will be working from home and we may never see those numbers again? There's a number of factors at play. When we look at public transit ridership across Canada, it's about hovering about 50 to 50 percent of pre-pandemic levels. And we've had a number of customers that were always transit dependent that stayed on transit, such as women, students, seniors, essential workers. And we've had the return of in-person instruction at post-secondary institutions and at schools, which has helped transit. But the wild card really is the return to work of, of downtown office workers. And one of the things that Calgary is quite unique on is we had such a high concentration of transit users downtown. And, and the work from home is a factor that we're going to have to figure out together. And it's going to take quite a while for us to, to get a full return back to ridership that really depended on, on the work from home factor. David, yeah, that's obviously the variable. This is the curveball that's been thrown our way. Although, you know, transit has been in the conversation when it comes to, you know, Calgary as a city, how to improve our city. So I guess this is the million-dollar, maybe loaded question. What should we be doing? What can Calgary do to reimagine the, reimagine the public transit system to serve Calgarians better? What's the number one thing we need, do you think? I like how you use the word reimagine because I think this is the time to really have a, a hard conversation about how transit serves Calgary. Like I've said, we have such a downtown-focused system, and there will always be customers that need to get downtown, but we have 
uses and, and transit customers that need to get across the city. And one thing that Calgary Transit has been really good at is building an extensive LRT system that connects you downtown, you know, high-frequency buses that, that tend to take you downtown, but it's actually really difficult to get across the city. Mm-hmm. And what ends up happening is that, as I mentioned, there's a number of uh, groups of customers that were always transit-dependent, and they're always not going downtown. And if you were to try to navigate across the city, it's very challenging. During rush hours, it's actually not too bad, but it, you know the ridership really drops off, or the frequency really drops off in the off-peak. And if you want a, a service that's reliable and convenient for, for many that aren't just from one ridership market, we really need to improve the service in the off-peak for our customers who've always been transit-dependent. So, David, that's obviously something that we need to look to as we have a municipal election coming up. You know, some of the candidates, what what they might be talking about in terms of bettering our transit system, what their vision is, and and the Green Line is just one part of it, isn't it? The Green Line is one piece and and definitely been the most talked about piece of of the transit system. And the one thing that Green Line does is Calgary's in this very en- enviable position where there's been so much build out of the LRT system and the Green Line would really connect the last pieces of the city for that. And and if you build the Green Line, you still have that connectivity across the rest of the city to provide service to whoever wants to take public transit. There's the issue with these projects is that they, they are they are big, they do have impacts and they are expensive, but Calgary wouldn't be the city that it is if it didn't actually have a pretty aggressive build-out of its LRT system. The Green Line would actually complement that. Mm-hmm. Dave, it's such an important part to any city. And, of course, we're looking at the path ahead for us. I think often when you're taking on a big project, it's good to look at other examples. So are there other examples within our nation or across the globe that we should be emulating and taking some cues from? Typically, when I get get asked that question, people think about you know big metro systems and big railway systems, and I think we actually don't have to look very far to systems we need to emulate. Uh, Edmonton just did a massive redesign of their buses, and they actually basically just relaunched it back in April. And one of the things they did, which is one of the best things you could do uh, for improving transit, is they actually put in a high frequency crosstown grid. And at Vancouver's done the same thing. We've got. Uh, I, I worked for TransLink after I was at Calgary Transit in Vancouver, and we did the same thing. We invested heavily in a high-frequency service, and that way we get service and ridership that's like 18 hours a day where, where people can turn up and go. And same thing in Montreal's done it, Vancouver's done it, but Calgary hasn't done it in a lot of it. has been so much focused on the LRT system at the expense of the bus system, and that's something that we really need to look at. So high-frequency meaning there are more of them, or they travel more often, the buses? So every 15 minutes, so this way, or better, so this way you can you can go to a bus stop. You don't have to necessarily read a schedule to know when it's coming. That that comes at a fixed interval that gives you the flexibility to take travel whenever you want to. Okay. And it's been very successful in many other cities, and, and Calgary has not done that, especially in the off-peak. When, when we forecast, you know, uh, and uh, again, going back to the word reimagine, when we forecast such a change to a transit system, the city the size of Calgary, how far out should we be looking? Should this be looking five years, 10 years, or, or even longer when it comes to this planning? So the city uh, did a 30-year capital plan called Route Ahead, which is quite necessary to look that far out when you want to look at the big-ticket capital projects like Green Line to get funding for them. But when it comes to service, like we should be looking at uh, the evolution of service over the next two years with the return of of riders of the pandemic next five years with seeing how things do sort itself out with uh, the economy. So I think 
on the service side, this is the time. Greenline would be coming online in about five, six years, and that's another t- uh, another way of timing to to look at a reimagined system. But it is something that's difficult to do. We're talking about a service that people take every day, and it's not something that uh, is going to be an easy process, but I think it's something that we may need to start having a conversation about. David, before we let you go, just a couple of seconds, uh, but uh, you know, as we look towards the municipal election, finding out what your, your candidates think about the Green Line, is there one thing about the Green Line we really need to focus on, do you believe? One key piece of the Green Line is we need to get across the Bow River. Like There's 30,000 transit riders a day on the Centre Street corridor before the pandemic, and it's one of the corridors that's bouncing back the fastest. And the south part has to be built first because the maintenance facility, you can't, you need somewhere to store and maintain your, your rail vehicles and, and also to offload some of the, the congestion we've had on the south line. But we need to get across the river, and that's been, it's the it's a very expensive part, but once you get across the river, it gets really easy to keep extending. So getting across the bow, I think, is quite vital for that project. David, thanks for your time this morning and the conversation. We appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for having me. That's David Cooper with Leading Mobility Consult- uh, Consulting and a former senior transit planner for Calgary Transit. Going to have an update on how uh, Amazon's uh, doing it and what they've been up to. You'll get what I mean by, by, by up in a second. So also, emojis, still very popular. But first, Twitter was buzzing thanks to Facebook, Instagram, and WhatsApp being out yesterday. Uh, but there is some good news as we're hearing that no user data has been compromised. That's according to Facebook. With the details and all we know about it, it's the gadget guy, Mike Yanni, with us on his regular Tech Tuesday segment. Good morning to you, Mike. Good morning. Good morning. Did you guys notice when Facebook went down yesterday? Maybe a little. Who didn't? <laughs> I, honestly, I didn't. I only knew it was down because I was using WhatsApp at the time for work, uh, and it went down, of course, as well as Instagram. So that's why it clued me into something was going down. But this was the biggest outage for Facebook since 2019. You might remember back then it went out for 24 hours. It was this awful. one was only six hours. Uh, but still, a lot of people feeling it uh, right across. Uh, and now Facebook is saying they know why uh, it went down for six hours. They're saying configuration changes to its servers and routers. Uh, they had to reset all the servers manually. So, of course, that took time. But what I found interesting about this was Mark Zuckerberg's wealth. He dropped in the standings. Did you hear about this? No. Yeah, the, the standings of the richest people in the world, he went from number five to number six. Ooh. Like $7 billion or something like that, wasn't yeah. it, Mike? Incredible. Just falling in that time. Just behind, falling just behind Bill Gates now. You know, I'm so worried about his future <laughs> I now. I know. But, What's he going right? to do? Yeah, uh, you yeah know, well, I uh, feel sorry for him. I'm, I'm <laughs> glad it's back up and running. I didn't know what she was going to do with herself, so that's good news. Um, <laughs> you, we'll talk another, uh, about another heavyweight, Amazon, and I uh, was saying what they've been up to. Tell us about Amazon. Right. They sell just about everything, right? Their e-books, mm-hmm. uh, subscriptions, video, audio, video game services now. Now, home security looks like it's going to be their next big thing. So they already, of course, have the Ring devices, the video doorbells. Uh, but they've introduced a couple of new products that come in the coming year. One is a surveillance drone. So this is for inside your house. Oh, I thought this would be flying over your house when you said drone. No, no it's inside your home. So when you leave, the drone can listen for sounds and it can take off and actually roam around your house and shoot videos so you can get live feeds on your smartphone or, of course, pre-recorded clips. $250 U.S., so it's not going to be cheap, but it can only fly for about five minutes. But I think the one that's more interesting is Astro. 
Astro is this little robot, and he's actually pretty cute. He's almost like an iPad on wheels. And it roams around your house, and it has a telescopic camera, so we can see, you know, up tall, above counters. Uh, and it, the idea is, of course, it's going to look for things around your home when you're not there. You can get a live view. It can listen for things like breaking glass and go and investigate. But they want it to be more than just security. They also have a cargo bin in it. It can do facial recognition. So you can say, hey, uh, Astro, please take this can of pop to Andy. And he'll actually find you in your home, Andy. So we can uh, be even lazier. That's right? great. And because it has a screen, it can play music, podcasts, and videos and follow you around the house as you're doing your chores and you can keep up with the latest whatever movies or soap operas, whatever you want. That's outrageous. <laughs> if it vacuums while it's doing that, maybe I'm in. Um, hey, Mike, can you hang on for just a minute? We'd love to chat with you more about uh, the emoji issue for us here in Alberta. Do you have it a couple of minutes? You can wait and uh, come up next segment. I sure do. Okay, hold on. Uh, we'll be back with the Gadget Guy, Mike Yanni, in just two minutes. Back with us on this Tech Tuesday is Gadget Guy, Mike Yanni. Mike, thanks for hanging around. Hey, we wanted to not let this go because it affects all Albertans, but apparently there's been quite the deep dive into which emojis Canadians use the most, and we Albertans stand out from the rest of the country. How so? We do. We apparently use the most scandalous emojis of all Canadians. What? Like the eggplant, or what are we the, talking? Yeah, the eggplant and the peach. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently, Albertans use them the most compared to any other province. We like our fruit. <laughs> we like our vegetables. Yep. That, uh, yep, exactly. Going with that? Okay. <laughs> uh, they actually, this was done by a mobile company as uh, a study, and they actually unearthed some other interesting facts. Do you guys happen to know the most used emoji across the country? The poop I, emoji. I guaranteed the poop. No. Oh. That, you know what? Poop didn't even make top three. Okay, what? The, Which the, is shocking. The smiley uh, winky. Yeah, it's the, it's the laughing face. Oh, the nice. laughing face is used by 63% of Canadians. If you were to guess number two. The laughy face on an angle? <laughs> the crying face. Oh. And the kissing face was number three at 39%. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Do you think, and Mike- just, one other quick thing. Most Canadians think it's okay to use one emoji in a message. I'm, I'm with that. Uh, but people in Manitoba and Saskatchewan are least likely to use any, but the Maritimers use it the most. They say that five or more emojis in a single message is acceptable, which I think is maybe a little much. I do not. I agree with five. It is like five. Yes. It is like I've wow. got things to say with my emojis. Modern day hieroglyphics. <laughs> yeah, well, that's my th- my thing. So you use them more than I do. Yeah. Mike, you and I have texted back and forth for years. You don't send the kissy face I, to I each other. I don't use them too often. <laughs> but I mean, is it important you think for people over forty to understand these emojis? Because sometimes my kids use them. I don't even know what they mean. Uh, you know what? I, yeah, you have to be on top of things. You got to know what these emojis are for. Yeah. And that being said, you know, back you know, I don't want to say back in the day. It's not too long ago. We used to use. LOL and things like that. Those apparently are on the way out. Those are not cool anymore. It's all about the emojis now. And so, okay, how many are we supposed to use? What's okay here in Alberta? Well, uh, most Canadians think one is okay. One. And I'm with that. I think one, maybe two. Yeah, but after two, you're pushing it. Come on. One is lame. I think three is, uh, let's just go happy medium. Let's say three. I'm going to text you after the show, Mike, okay? 15, if you will. Thank you, thank you so much uh, for clearing it up. I feel old now, but uh, thanks so much, Mike. We appreciate your time. And the poop Always emoji rocks. <laughs> he is uh, Mike Yanni, the Gadget Guy. You can find him on Instagram at Gadget Guy Mike. On YouTube, find his channel by searching Gadget Guy Mike Yanni.
Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. And tune in to Mornings with Sue and Andy from 530 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 CHQR.